do a little bit of review. Um, so what were the big things that kind of really stood out to you over the last couple of weeks about biblical relationships that were things that maybe you didn't quite think about before? Um, something kind of struck you a little bit different. Uh, but speaking about di- biblical relationships and whether it's dating, friendships, with your parents, other authorities, but what were some of the things that really stood out to you over the last couple of weeks that you want to share with everybody? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You may not realize that, but it is definitely true. It is definitely true. Because, guys, the way you treat your mother is the way you're going to treat your future wife. And vice versa, ladies with your with your dad. So be thinking about, well, how do I treat my parents? Because in some ways, you're going to do the same thing to your spouse. You may not right out of the gate. But like, think of the worst thing that you've said to your mom or your dad. I mean, those are things that you'll end up probably saying to your spouse. So you need to think about that. And it starts now on how you're going to treat your future spouse. Anything else? Got to be something else. Come on. Anything else? I know. I know. Guys, put your hands down. Put your hands down. No, seriously. Not everybody can see. (laughs) I know. Anything else? Anyone remember the picture? Mm-hmm. Anybody want to draw it? You want to do it? Give it a shot? See if, see if artistic drawing runs in the family? No. It does it with you? Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. You don't, you don't think so? I'm not sure yet. <laughs> Good. God's in the right spot. That's good. Who, who can explain it? What's the whole deal with this? Yeah. Well, you have to be growing closer to God, and the other person, whoever it is, has to be growing closer to God in order for your guys' Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that we talked about last week with Adam and Eve is where is your top priority when it comes to relationships? With God. And that's how it started. So you're in Genesis 3, right? So go ahead and look at, at uh, chapter 2. Just back it up one chapter to chapter 2. We were talking about how God had a relationship with Adam right out of the gate. He made him, and he talked with him. He gave him responsibilities out of chapter 2. And one of those responsibilities is in verse 16 and 17, where he says, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So Eve was not around at this point in time, just Adam. And then he's trying to find a helpmeet for Adam because he says it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helpmeet. And so then he performs the first surgery. 
um, has the first form of anesthesia in the Bible where he puts him into a deep sleep, takes out a body part, and part of the rib, and then he closed it back up, and then he made the woman. But then before God brought her unto the man, you have God then having a relationship with Eve. And so this is very, very important, very important, because a lot of people, I think they look at it this way. I'll get serious about God when I need to. A lot of people have that attitude, and that is not true. You can't do that. You can't get into a relationship with somebody and say, oh, I should start walking with God because this is important to me. No. It's like, that would be like, um, I don't know, the first illustration that pops into my head is water skiing. Any of you guys water ski? Okay, there's a few. All right. So those of you who don't know how to water ski, I'll educate you a little bit. Um, It's like you've never water skied before and you jump out into the water with the one ski. Have you slalomed before? Okay. Have you two skied? Okay. So, have you seen anybody else slalom? Okay. You know how much more difficult that is? (laughs) A lot more difficult. It's a lot more difficult. I remember, and I've told you guys this, when I first skied on two skis, I got into the water, and it was amazing, but I got it maybe like on my third try. And then, you know, you learn from there, you get comfortable and everything. Well, I wanted to, eventually, I think it was like four or five years later, I'm like, I wanted to learn how to slalom. But I had watched this one guy do it, and I mean, it was like intense. And you go a lot faster and everything. And so I'm like, all right, I want to learn. So you just get into the ski itself, and it's super intimidating because they, they have these high wrap boots that go around. And in order to get them on, you actually have to put dish soap between the lips of them to slip your foot in. And if you wreck, I mean, you have the potential of it like completely twisting your ankles and things like that too because of how they wrap around your ankle. But you get into the water, and when you have two skis, you put the rope right in the middle. And then as you go, you let the boat pull you, and then you can get up, and then eventually you can stand up on two skis. Well, on one ski, you don't have a middle to put it. You have to put it on one side or the other. And it's all based on whatever you're comfortable with. And so I normally put mine on my left side because I'm left foot forward, and my ski tends to go that way. Well, I'm learning how to do this, but as the boat is pulling you out, and especially if your boat is not a good boat, (laughs) it needs to get you up and planing and you end up going about maybe 30 miles an hour well it's yanking you out of the water and so then you have to then get up but there's like a period of about five to ten seconds where you are almost like going through the water it's almost like a wall of water going around you and over you and you've got to hold on until you can finally get up and then you get up and then you're trying to get your balance when you're going almost 20 25 miles an hour speeding up to about 30. it's very very difficult it would be like getting in the water I've never skied before, and I want to slalom. You're an idiot. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. People with their relationships, they get into one. They're like, okay, now I'll start to walk with God because I, this, this relationship is important to me, and I know that God is important. It doesn't work that way at all. You should be walking with God first before you ever get into a relationship. And one of the things that you guys need to think about, especially when it comes to future dating, is that you might start walking with God and like let's say you come out of summer camp or let's say something happens where you're just more convicted or whatever and you draw close to God and now you're closer to God than you've ever been in your life. Chances are something's going to happen to try to pull you away and I have seen so many students that start walking with God and they're on fire and coincidentally a significant other just pops into their life out of nowhere drawing their interest away from god and towards that person that is not a coincidence it's not 
And I'm not saying that you can't date them or you can't be with them or whatever, but it's just crazy how that happens because our priorities shift and we're no longer focused on God, we're focused on this person. And it's very important you recognize that that is something that happens quite often, quite often. All right, so all that to say, your relationship with God has to be the top priority in your life. We talked about that Wednesday with our disciple series that we've been talking about, and we talked about it Sunday with uh, Adam and Eve and how God established their relationship with him first before ever considering any other relationship. So if your relationship with God is not right, if this connection is not good on the onset, this one's going to be bad. If you're walking with God and his thoughts become yours, you will treat your friends differently. You will treat your parents differently. You will treat your teachers differently, even though you might be frustrated with them, or even with your parents. You will treat these people differently because God's thoughts are now yours because you're walking with him and you're listening to him, you're heeding his advice. If this doesn't exist, then this is gonna be in shambles or you're gonna end up making the wrong friends or dating the wrong people. And it's just gonna be a terrible regret. And so you can either learn from the mistakes that I've made and other people have made, um, or you can just make your own and then learn. I'd rather that not happen, but that's the choice that you gotta make. So the advice that we give you guys, I strongly advise that you would just heed it and apply it to your life because it will save you from a world of hurt. Believe me, some of my biggest regrets is some of this stuff in my life, and I hate it. But I will use it for God's glory and tell you not to do what I've done. All right. So let's talk about this. So this relationship is so important. And right out of the gate, you have Genesis 2 where God establishes this relationship. And so it's not a coincidence that in chapter 3, this relationship is tested. And your relationship is tested with God all the time. And it's just a matter of who's going to win. Are you, is God going to be your top priority and you're going to follow him? Or are you going to choose your own way? And uh, it just happens like that all the time in our life. All right. So we got Genesis chapter 1. And um, let's see, give me a reader and one through seven. We'll have someone do one through one through three and we'll do the other person can take the rest. So who's got Genesis three, one, two, and three, and then get a second reader to read the rest. Okay, you got the first part, Kent, okay, you got the second part. Now the serpent was more subtle than any piece of the field which the Lord God had made. And God and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, Unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth not doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves t- together, and made themselves aprons. Okay, how many times have you guys heard this story? Mucho. Mucho, mucho. A lot. Okay, so here's what I want to do. Because a lot of you guys hear stories like this from the Bible. I mean, most of you guys, a lot of you guys have grown up in this church, or you've grown up in a church where you've heard Bible stories your entire life. One of the things you guys need to learn is to slow down. When you're reading, slow down and pay attention and ask questions. And I want to try to exemplify that for you guys this morning because it will help you as you're reading your Bible. Okay? So we're going to do a little bit of how to say the Bible with this, but we need to look at this. All right? So first of all, look at verse 1. 
Look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Stop there for a second. What are some of the things that really stand out to you just in that that sentence right there? What do we got? Serpent subtle. Serpent. Subtle serpent. <laughs> subtle. Subtle serpent. Try to say that one. That's kind of tough. Subtle serpent. Okay. What else we got? Anything else? God made that serpent. Yes, beast of the field. Now, when we get into this, the devil, also called the serpent, this is a connection that's all the way through the Bible. You've got the Leviathan, the dragon, you got all that kind of stuff that's in there. But you see here, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now, serpents are very, very subtle. Have any of you guys ever come face to face with one? All right. It's one of those ones where you don't even realize they're there until it might be too late. And one of the things we're learning about Mexico, because I'm doing the Mexico trip in October, so we did training last week, and so they were saying that in Mexico, you really have to be careful because they have things called rattlesnakes, and the baby rattlesnakes are the most dangerous. Anybody know that? Okay, so apparently baby rattlesnakes are the most dangerous because they're small, for sure, but secondly, because they can't control the amount of venom that goes out in their bite. Adult rattlesnakes can and they don't normally give the full brunt of all their venom. But baby rattlesnakes, they don't know that. So they will kill you. I'm like, oh, that's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> but is these subtleties of, of how you can be out, because we're going to be out at a camp, and I'm sure they're going to tell us all about once we're there, but we're going to be out at a camp for a couple days, and so we've got to be careful to check our stuff and make sure that these things aren't even in there. They're very, very subtle, and especially the little ones. And man, what a great illustration that is of just sin in your life. Oh my goodness. You can even realize that. When you let little sins go, they can wreck and destroy your life. So we have a serpent, more subtle. And now we're going to see how he's subtle. God made him. All right, let's look at the next sentence. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, what do you notice about that? Yep, questions the statement. What else do you notice there? Yep, he goes to the woman. Where's the man? Why isn't he talking to the man? Have you ever noticed that before? A lot of people read this and they don't even notice that. He's not talking to the man, he's talking to the woman. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But then he says, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Is that exactly what God said? No, they're allowed to eat. So automatically, the way he asks the question, it's causing you to think about, well, what did God say? No, 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 he, he didn't say that we could eat of all the trees. He didn't say that we could, you know, even, you know, no, this is what he said. And so then she begins to answer the question in verse two. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So there's that. But of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Okay, so first of all, just take a look back just real quick at verse 16 and 17 of chapter 2. God says, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Was there anything in there whatsoever that God said, you're not allowed to touch certain trees? No. So she just throws that right in there. 
So she ends up subtracting from God's word and she adds to God's word and she ends up saying, well, no, we're not even supposed to touch it. Now, this is a great example of Adam. He was told by God what to do. Adam would have told this also to the woman. But there are some times that we go beyond God's commandments in order to keep us safe. Sometimes we do that. And there's not necessarily a bad thing about that. But sometimes we go beyond what God has said and establish our own rules. And this is one of the first cases of legalism in the Bible, by the way, where legalism can cause big problems. It can cause big, big problems because that's not what God said. That's not what God said. And so now she's saying, no, that is what God said, but that's not what God said. Well, then there's a problem because now the devil can use that and say, well, then God must be a liar because he didn't say that or vice versa. And so these things can cause major, major problems in our lives. So here, she doesn't even know God's word clearly, and so then she ends up adding stuff to it. And then verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now what do you know about that one? Verse 17, what did it say? Of chapter 2. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Alright, hold on. Thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Um, ye shall not surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Ye shall not surely die. Direct contradiction of God's word. So here's what happens in our lives all the time. Something can unfold in our life, and it causes us to think about what God had said. And then we're like, well, did God really say that? Well, maybe God didn't say that. Maybe he did say this. No, this is what God said, but that's not what God said. And then, well, God didn't say that. Well, maybe he didn't say that. Okay, this happens in so many different ways, so many different ways. We're on the topic of, of just biblical relationships. So we'll just, we'll just use the one that's just the glaring one when it comes to dating. Does the Bible say that you should not date lost people? Okay, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Anybody know where that's at? The Bible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You're on the right track. <laughs> New Testament or Old? New Testament. New Testament. Not in the Timothys. It's in the Corinthians. Which one? Come on, guys. Words of that. There it is. Okay. We'll have another sidebar here for a second. You gotta know in the Bible verses that back up what you believe you have to because it's not about your opinion and it's not about anybody else's opinion or anybody else's advice what did god say because eve didn't know god's words and it got her into a whole lot of trouble when she was in a situation you've got to know what god's word says you have to now in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, if you don't know this, maybe you should do this one as a memory verse or just get it plugged into your head or whatever, but you need to get this one in. So six fourteen, it says, 
Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or that's another term for the devil. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then he continues on there into chapter 7 with the same thing. Okay, so in there, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What is a yoke? It's an egg. It's part of an egg. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, at our house that we have, we actually, in our kitchen, have a yoke that serves as lights over the island in the kitchen. I love it. And Megan loves it, too. It's one of the things when we walk through the house, we're like, oh, it's amazing. So the yoke, if you were to take it, give me two volunteers. See, this is what happens when I'm not feeling it. I'm just going to go off the cuff. All right, Carson, who else? I need one more. Give me another fella. Come on. I need another guy. Let's go. Who wants to do it? Noah. Noah? All right. My volunteers of the day. Okay. So these guys are going to be yoked together. So we'll get you side by side here. Boom, boom, boom. All right. So a yoke, just like you're a cow. (laughs) A yoke will go over both of their necks, and then it would be latched underneath. So that way they couldn't actually separate from one another. And there would be a piece in the middle that would then be driven by the farmer on the one side or the other side. Now, typically on the other side over here, you would have a plow. And so as they would go together, the plow would then go through and start digging up the ground. Now, with this in mind, when you have the yoke that's side by side, if one one of them decides, you know what, I quit, what's the other one going to do? It could quit. Drag the other one. Or drag the other one. I mean, there's only two options that you have. So if one ends up collapsing, thanks, you can sit down. If one ends up collapsing, (laughs) come on, guys. Can two walk together except they'd be agreed. Um, So if one ends up collapsing, the other one could either just fall down with it. Have you ever tried to carry dead weight? It's super difficult. Super difficult. I think about the illustration that Colin and I had a couple weeks ago where we were just he was fighting me the whole way across here like it's impossible to just carry dead weight and and make it it's just i mean even my little daughter lucy i hold her for a while and after a while i'm like man i gotta stop holding you because eventually my arms is going to give out so in this situation we have be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers the bible actually says that you're not supposed to yoke an ox with an ass together and in the bible if you study out ass there's a reason why that's a vulgar term but it's actually legit. It really is because it's a Bible term. Because an ass is a donkey who doesn't want to listen to anybody. And if you try to get a donkey to do something that it does not want to do, you are a miracle worker. You would be Jesus himself. They don't, whatever, whatever that thing wants to do, it is going to do end of story. That is an ass in the Bible. And that is also an ass in the world. That is a lost person. It is. So it's a good Bible term. It's not that we should go around and start cussing like crazy. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, when people say stuff like that, I'm like, hmm, okay, I get it. So you're not supposed to take an ass and an ox, and by the way, an ox in the Bible is a Christian, and you're not supposed to yoke them together. Like, that was forbidden in the Old Testament. That was one of the laws that they could not do. 
and you've got so many other pictures of that kind of stuff. But you're not supposed to do that together. If you're going to yoke two animals together, you yoke two of the same animals together. Two oxen, two ass, put them together and let them go do the work. But you don't put an ox and an ass together. It just does not work. It does not work. And then it says right here in verse, uh, what is it? Let's see here. Um, Verse 15, what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? So a believer and an infidel, they are polar opposites. It is impossible, impossible to get along perfectly with a lost person if you're saved. It is absolutely impossible. I don't care how hard you try. The only way a saved person can get along with a lost person is if the saved person compromises on all their beliefs and starts acting like a lost person. That's it. That's all you can do. Because a lost person will not act like a believer. They won't. So this is why sometimes in your guys' friendships, maybe you have family members, maybe like your mom or your dad are lost and you're saved. Maybe, you know, there's someone that you've tried to date or maybe there's someone you're interested in that, that they're lost. This is why there's so much friction between you guys. And so on the other side, if one of those people are lost and there is no friction between you, then there's two things that are the result. Either you are lost or you are saved, but you have given up everything in order to please them. That's the only way you can make it work. That's the only way you can make it work. And by the way, even if a person is saved, if they're not walking with God and you are, there's going to be major friction there too. Major friction, major, major friction. And your friendship can only go so far. Your dating relationship can only go so far. It will come to an end. It has to. Or you just have to compromise and just give up on God. One thing or the other. There is no in-between. And this is the hard part. Our emotions are like the subtle serpent in our life to make us believe, well, well, maybe... Well, I can make this work. I can, you know, I can, I can, I can win them to the Lord. I mean, it's going to happen. If it hasn't happened, it's going to. And you've got to be careful. You need to treat your relationship with God as if it was like something worth a million bucks, a billion dollars, that's locked away tight in a vault, and you would never give the combination to anybody, anybody because it's so precious to you. Because there are so many Christians that they have God. They have this, this, this it, it, I mean, unfathomable wealth of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. And they have it in their place where they keep it safe. But then they're like just willing to hand over the keys to anybody and everybody so they can have a relationship with them. They're willing to give it all up for a person when he's the most valuable thing you could ever possess in this world. I don't get it. I mean, I get it emotionally. But logically... Objectively, I don't get it. Like Eve, what in the world is she thinking? But this is what happens. Our emotions get involved. Circumstances get involved where we're like, well, I... No, no, it just can't happen. You have to recognize these things before they hit because when they hit, you can make the proper decision. Because I'm telling you, when emotions start getting into circumstances and you find yourself in the thick of it, it is hard to see through the weeds. It's hard. It's like any of you swim in deep water before. There's some times where I've jumped into deep water, like in a lake or something like that, and I've hit the water, and I can't tell which way is up or down. 
because you get down so far into the darkness where the light is gone and you're not able to see which way is up or down. It's scary. It's really, really scary. And that's why divers, when they're diving, they have special equipment to tell them which way is up. They have to, or else they're going to die. And you have to choose spiritually or else you're going to die. Go back to Genesis 3. All right, so on your guys' study sheet, we can at least do the first blank there. We've covered that one and the second one. So the, the serpent's subtle attack, he questions the word of God. He contradicts the word of God. He comes directly against it, but he questions it first. He throws doubt in the mind. So that way when he finally does contradict, we leave room to make excuses in order to believe what he says versus what God says. And that's exactly what happens. And then... In verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Okay. The more I think about this verse, the more it makes me so mad. For God doth know, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know. Okay, so you're saying God lied to me, first of all. Because God knows something. So now he's holding something back. Like there's something that's going to benefit me that I'm not allowed to have. That's what he's doing. Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Okay, what did God say? In the day ye eat thereof, <clears throat> ye shall surely die. That's what God said. You're not going to die. God knows that when you eat, you're, you're going to be as gods. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be as gods knowing good and evil. So he paints a brand new picture. Not only does he change, he contradicts, but he changes the word of God. That's your next blank on here. He changes it completely and totally. And he makes it sound as if God is holding something back from you. Here's the deal. This happens in our life a lot too. Because when someone tells you no... What do you want to do? You want to do it. I see this all the time with my kids. I see this all the time. You tell them no and that's what they want. That's because this it goes all the way back here. God's not holding something back from you. Like, let's say, for example, you guys have a friend that's just a terrible friend. They're a, they're a lost friend, and they're someone that is, just keeps tripping you up in your walk with God. Or maybe you're, you're wanting to date somebody, or you like somebody, or maybe you are dating somebody who's lost. I don't know. But whatever that is, that keeps tripping you up in your relationship with God. God's basically telling you, we saw it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have lost friends. It just means you need to be careful being yoked together with them, doing work together with them. So in that context, looking at this whole thing where God says no, God says no, we can tend to feel deep down, well, God's just holding something back from me. He's holding, he's withholding this from me for whatever reason. And so if we start to believe the lies of, of the devil, our flesh, the world, well, everybody else is dating. Why can't I have that? And this person is interested in me and I like them. Why can't I do that? And then we start to get mad at God, of God, you're not, you're not bringing something into my life that I can actually date that's worth my while. So this person's here, and maybe I can win them to the Lord. <laughs> I mean, okay, this is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. 
So you just need to think about this for a second because this is what we end up doing. He brings up a scenario where he says that ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Now here's another question for you on this one. Did they at that time, did they know good? Did they know evil? No. So when they partake of the fruit, he says you're going to know both good and evil. They already knew good. So what did they gain? Evil. Evil. But the way he words it makes it sound as if there's more good to understand. And God is withholding good from you. No. God was withholding evil from them. God was holding them back from having to suffer with evil in their life. When people come to you and they give you counsel about relationships and they're pouring their heart out to you, it's because they're wanting to withhold you from evil. They're wanting to withhold bad things from happening in your life. And when you get mad at them or get upset at them for whatever reason, that is terrible. That's terrible. Because they're trying to save you. They're trying to help you. They're trying to make you hurt less. To not make the same mistakes that, you've, that they've made in their life. Take their wisdom and apply it to your life. Do what they've done. Don't do what they've done. Whatever they tell you as far as their advice, if they're good and godly, then you've got to do it. You should do it because they're trying to help you the way that God was helping Adam and Eve here. All right, then take a look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now I want you to see this really quick. Um, I want to have someone go to 1 John 2.16. Everyone else go to Matthew 4. So 1 John 2.16 was that one. Um, Haley, you can take that one. And then everyone else go to Matthew 4. We're doing a couple extra things we normally wouldn't do because technically I wanted to do this last week. So I hope this helps you guys out. Okay. All right, Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Tell me those three things again. When she saw what? It was good for food. Pleasant. Okay. I would draw now, but I'm not that good. Okay, to make one wise. Good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and it will make you wise. And I love that. Did you notice the rhythm in there and the rhyme? I love that. It makes it very easy to memorize. When she saw that the tree was pleasant for food. Okay. All right. So when it comes to these three things, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Those are the three things that we see there. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see this. All right. Okay. All right. Matthew chapter 4, so verse 2. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, this is, the, this is Jesus with the devil, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Which one is that? Good for food. All right. 
But he answered and said, it, shall, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taking them up into the holy city and set them on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. Oh, he's using scripture. How about that, that sneaky devil? And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Which one is this one? Pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. Anyone know? Where would you fit that one? Pleasant to the eyes? I would say probably with the third number three, because you could you could show off your glory and the fact that you are God without going through all this nonsense. Just throw yourself down, and people will see your wisdom. They will see your power and your authority. Okay, all right. So I'd put it with that one. All right, and then verse eight. And again, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Give them all the kingdoms of the world. Pleasant to the eyes. Alright? So right here, in Matthew chapter 4, the devil uses the same three tactics towards Jesus. Now listen to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Okay. Lust of the flesh. Which one's that one? I'd like to put it here. All right, what's the next one, Haley? And? Okay. This is what the devil does, and he has not averted from this plan because it works so well. If he can put you in a situation where it can appeal to your flesh. I mean, when was the last time you ate something that you didn't like, but you just did anyway? And when was the last time you indulged yourself in something that you really, 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 really liked? <laughs> How often do you indulge yourself in things you really, really like and eat the things you just kind of, man, I really don't care for that. Okay, that's your flesh. There are things that your flesh wants. There are cravings that your flesh desires. If he can put that in front of you, there's a reason why. There's a reason why it takes forever to get kids like vegetables. There's a reason. Now, my son, he loves broccoli. But it's because we have worked him and worked him and worked him. And we've steamed it and we've seasoned it. We've done all this stuff. And now he loves broccoli. He loves broccoli. How many of you guys love broccoli? Okay, there's a few. See? 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 He's coming over to the wild side. All right. <laughs> So, good for food. If you can put something in front of somebody, this is why marketing, and this is why sex sells. If you can put marketing in front of people where they crave or desire something new, something better, the way it makes them feel, the way it makes them look, because that changes the way they feel, you're going to nail them every time. Pleasant to the eyes. That just looks good. I mean, there's a reason why Apple is doing so, so well. Their products just look good <laughs> i mean you may not know anything about it but you want to buy it because it just looks good it just does it just does and then to make one wise the pride of life to make you someone to make you someone that's better than everybody else to make you stand out 
these three things, these are, these are your hit list. This is what gets you every single time. You put something in front of you that your flesh desires, something that makes you look good and makes you feel like you're something and makes you feel like you're somebody in this world, boom, you're done. You're done. This is why sports is so dangerous if you're not careful. So dangerous. Because you can look good and you can look good to everybody else and it makes you feel better about yourself. And it makes you think that you're defined by those things that you're doing when you're not at all. Some of you guys are super smart in school. Well, when it comes to that, that could be a pride issue in your own life. Because, oh man, they're super smart. So, yep, that's the way it is. Some of you are flat out just lazy because your, your flesh just wants you to be lazy. And so it's a lust of your flesh. And so just you, keep, you just trip up over and over, over, over again in your life. So these three things are your guys' calling card. And you got to understand that because that's what the devil has used from the very beginning. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like even today, I didn't want to wake up this morning. It was a rough day. I did not want to be here. But you know what I had to do? I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice. Suck it up and get here because I need to be in church. That's what I needed to do. And I'm here to teach you guys. Can you imagine? I call up Brooke. Hey, Rick, I'm just not feeling it today. Uh, you're just going to take over. I'm just, I have a headache. It's just bad. I'm just not really. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's what I need in case that happens and I decide to get lazy. All right, go back to Genesis 3 and then we'll end here. And then the last thing, so he questions, he contradicts, and he changes. I know we spent a lot of time on this, but I hope you guys are getting some stuff here that helps you and that you actually apply to your life. And then number four, um, he focuses on the woman. He focuses on the helpmeet. He doesn't focus on the leader. He focuses on the helpmeet. And I can't tell you how many times, like this morning and last night, and this makes me so mad. When my wife is not feeling good or my kids are not feeling good, it hits me and I struggle. I have a hard time with that. I really do. And then, like even last night when Lucas isn't feeling good and he's in pain, he, he walks into the room and it's like 1.15 in the morning. And I just got to sleep. I've been sleeping for maybe an hour and a half because we were out late last night. Uh, we went and saw the fireworks and stuff. So I got them in bed and I got everything ready. And, and so I'm, and he comes in. And then he wakes me up. And then now I'm not getting the sleep that I need. And this happens all the time. The devil gets to us through other people in our life, especially people that we care for. And a lot of times the devil doesn't attack me directly. What he does is he attacks my family. He attacks my kids. He attacks my wife. He attacks our circumstances. And then that affects me indirectly. And it makes me upset and very, very frustrated. He does. He's so good at this. So he focuses on the woman. And we saw that already in verse 1 of chapter 3. But here's the thing. Look at verse 6 again. After she saw it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So he's supposed to be the leader in the relationship here. And instead of leading and actually doing what God told him to do, he ends up just going ahead and just following her lead because she gave him the fruit and he took it and he ate it. And now they both are defiled. So it's completely backwards, completely backwards. And this is the end goal. It is to destroy fellowship with God by attacking the foundation of God's word so that God's plans and purposes cannot come to pass to bring God glory. And you've got to remember, it's always the battle for the throne. That is always his end goal, is to destroy your fellowship with God. He doesn't want you to walk with God. He doesn't want you to spend time with God. He doesn't want you to be friends with God. He doesn't want you to do anything with God. So I'll just read these two paragraphs and then we'll be done. 
The serpent strategically attacked in the perfect moment of weakness. Eve did not know and believe God's words to counter the attack. Adam failed to teach, protect, and lead his wife according to the word of God. And he failed because he forgot his personal relationship with God and his purpose in glorifying God. He should have protected her. She was the most valuable possession that he had. The most valuable possession that he had. Without her, he can't follow God and, and fulfill God's will for his life. If he would have remained focused, he would have gone to great lengths to protect the help God gave him to fulfill his God-given purpose. In this battle, Satan seems to gain the victory by putting a stop to God, receiving glory, honor, and pleasure from his special creation. But the Lord's grace and mercy stepped in with a redemptive plan to restore God's plans and purposes. And you can read that later. They made themselves fig leaves, but God came in and made them coats of skins. After God prophesied of the Messiah in verse 15, we can see throughout the Bible that Satan continues his similar subtle plan of attack against the seed of the woman. And at this point, you should be able to see that there's much more at stake here, at here, at stake here than you fulfilling your heart's desire and finding true love. Until you understand this, you will never understand relationships and their purpose. I hope you guys really get this down. I hope you do. Because in the backdrop of everything that's going on in your life, the devil is wanting to distract you so that way you don't follow God's will. And at times it can seem like the people in front of you are more important. It can seem like the circumstances in front of you are more important. They're not. Oftentimes the people and the circumstances in front of you are the distraction that you need to push through in order to fulfill God's will in your life. You've got to be able to get this, and I hope you guys get this early so you don't make some terrible, terrible mistakes. And we'll talk more about how this works out in our life in the weeks to come. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and I, and I um, just thank you for your patience and grace. And um, I do pray that you'd help us to remain focused on the things that are true. It's easy when we're not feeling right or when our emotions get involved to make bad decisions. And so I pray that you would guard and protect us and that you would help us. And that we'd see our relationship with you as very, very valuable. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.